Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Keto for life. Yeah, Mark Sisson, Brad Kearns. We're here. We've been doing this for 11 years, and uh, here comes another book. So exciting. Yeah. Uh, Every time we say this will be about a six-month project, and we're off by uh, order of half, and it's a year-long project. And I just want to give credit to the incredible team of people at Park Fine and Harmony Books and our research staff and all the hard work that goes into this beautiful finished project, if we do say so ourselves. It's so different than a YouTube video and a blog post and all the content that we're getting slammed with every day. So I think we really wanted this thing to be, you called it, an owner's manual yeah. for probably the ultimate goal of longevity. Right. And I think the team, you know, the team effort um, is important because you know, you bounce ideas off of uh, people and some people are, you know, have a concept of what the world wants to hear and see and others, um, you know, have other ideas. And, I, and my, my idea here for a longevity book uh, was based on Live Awesome, right? My, like my idea was to uh, how, do we, how do we craft a life that allows us to get the most amount of enjoyment, pleasure, contentment, and fulfillment, satisfaction out of every moment we possibly can. However, in order to do that, you have to be healthy and you have to be mindful and you have to have, uh, you know, you have to get your sleep in order. And so there's all these things that come together to create that end result of uh, an awesome life. And I think that was sort of the, the, the impetus for Keto Life, or, you know, a longevity book, Keto for Life, that was uh, all-encompassing and, and, and had almost by its very nature had to be like an owner's manual. Right, and the other thing you want to do is walk your talk. And so when you were first presented with this wonderful opportunity to oh, bring another book, uh, your first reaction was like that. <sighs> yeah. So let's, let's talk about what Well, was, I mean, you know, so, so at, that, at that point in my life, it was like the best of times, it was the worst of times, right? I had a very successful food company that I was growing and, and spending a lot of time with. Um, I had um, a, a, a failed you know, restaurant venture that was halfway through its its failure cycle and was causing me a lot of grief. Um, I had had a, um, a a major incident with the medical system that almost killed me uh, in a uh, routine uh, prostate exam. Uh, I had had some, um, you know, uh, I'd, I'd passed out on a, on a <laughs> went to Greece and and for some reason I'd been extending myself and burning the candle at both ends and I had a. I literally passed out for a second, but it was enough. Like it was a wake-up call. Like, wait a minute, I'm trying to, I'm trying to extract, you know, all the marrow from life here, and in so doing, I'm, I'm overextending myself, and it's actually, it, it's having the exact opposite of the intended effect. Instead of extracting all and, and getting all the greatest amount of enjoyment and f- fulfillment, contentment, and pleasure, it was causing me a lot of, of, of grief, and, uh, and you know, sort of guilt and. Um, ill health and other things. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is not the right picture. This is not who I am. I'm supposed to be this guy that's walking the talk and, and, and doing this. And, and it, was, it was the notion of doing a book that I finally said, wow, I, gotta, I have to listen to my own advice. I have to settle down. I have to pivot where I need to pivot and make the changes where I need to change. 
And so the, for me, the process in writing the book brought me, brought me back to center and, and got me you know, uh, realigned with all of, the, all of the purpose of my life. Well, this seems like a huge issue today, what you described, because we're affluent uh, society and a segment of it is, is doing wonderfully well and succeeding in so many areas and we have so much knowledge and know how to apply it to live this incredible life and go get your uh, cryotherapy and your Theragun massage appointments and go to the wonderful progressive food stores and get the grass-fed everything. <laughs> All of a sudden, it becomes a stressful event just yeah. to try to keep up with, yeah. and then we go to that disease state as quantified by Dr. Rana Sinha, one of our authors, FOMO. Yeah. It, it, it's good fear, as you're doing. Fear of missing out. Yeah. Someone else is posting a thing that's kicking yeah. your butt yeah. uh, on an even higher quantified level. Yeah. No, it's, look, it's a real, it's a real issue. Um, there's so many nuances to this idea of living a better life, and it, some of it has to do with the ability to... to acknowledge uh, your current situation and what's going on. And you, are you in good health uh, or are you, f- you know, faking it? Are you, th- you think you're in good health? Um, are you stress-free or are you just telling people you're stress-free? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you being productive at work or are you just thinking? Busy. Being, you know, busy, exactly. Um, you know, are you um, non-judgmental uh, in uh, those around you or are you actually, you know, Keeping score. I mean, a lot of these things come together, and and as a as a package, we look at our lives and go, well, you know, how, how do I how do I uh, reconcile all of these different elements, all these different nuances, all these different aspects of my life, to the point where I feel good now, and and every you know every moment. We spend so much time living in the past and regretting things we did or said or whatever uh, wrong moves we think we made, and uh, and we also spend a lot of time thinking about the future and fearing the future, and and we don't we don't focus enough on what's right in front of us, right? And and that's really what the concept of longevity is based on. It's based on uh, being in this moment now and being healthy now and present now and enjoying this moment now. And if you put enough of those together for the long for a long period of time, next thing you know, you're 85, 90, 95. You have good health. You're mobile. You have access to your thoughts, and that's sort of the definition of quality of life. That's interesting. Uh, that, that wasn't on our, our notes to talk about, but I, I like that angle where you're talking about basically backing into longevity rather than obsessing about it and worrying. Yeah. And we talked about uh, biology of belief, Dr. Bruce Lipton, and some of his insights that your, your thoughts manifest your cellular function at all times. So if you're really stressing about that Wi-Fi router giving off electromagnetic signals that might compromise your health, that, that thought about the worry of the harmful effects of the thing you just ate because right. you indulge on it's, a cheesecake. No, it's more insidious <laughs> it's, than the actual than the actual event. Oh, mercy. Yeah. Okay, so we wove a lot of these things into the story and tried to like, create this presentation that was really much broader than the things you've ever talked about yeah. in other yeah. books. I think we should get into the, uh, first of all, the evolved definition of longevity and the three ages rather than the just one age that we seem to be obsessed about, right. which is by scientific validation, the least important. Yeah. So we have our chronological age, yep. how many birthdays we've had. Yeah. You've had a few, I've had a few. Adding how, up many, to... how many times around the sun we've, we've, we've made it? Yeah. <laughs> how many moons has it been since the, day, the year of heavy rains when you were born? Yeah. Tell me about the other two 
actual verified definitions of age. So we can talk about um, biological age, and biological age is sort of the, um, uh, the, the kind of one of the true metrics of the physiology. Uh, how healthy are you? Uh, we can measure it in, uh, for instance, telomeres. In, mm-hmm. in some cases, we can see the telomere length and determine. Uh, that's sort of the new, the new quantified, biohacking. you know, biohacking measurement. You can get your telomeres measured, and it. You so might, the telomere is the, uh, a, the, the ending like the, point of a cell. Yeah, it's like the uh, it's like the uh, the wrappings on the end of a shoelace or something like that that keep it that keep the. Uh, the chromosomes, you know, they, you lose a little bit every time it replicates, and at some point it stops, and that's the determination of how many cell divisions you can you can undergo. And uh, so every cell has sort of a finite number of divisions it can undergo in one's lifetime. And so you you want to you don't want to speed that process up. You want to slow it down. And you speed it up doing all kinds of crazy stuff, like going on the road with the band and not getting enough sleep for seven years. You, you actually see in, in, in uh, laboratory, rock star, rock laboratory study, the rock star <laughs> yeah, effect yeah, yeah, yeah. is the telomeres right. shorten. Right. Uh, or you can actually lengthen them with healthy lifestyle practices. So you, can, you can literally you can reverse. reverse. That, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, but that's one metric. Now, we can, we can also talk about um, you know grip strength being another a metric of... Um, of biological age and, it, and, it, and sort of a predictor of how long you're going to live or how old you are. Um, and that, that is a, uh, a one small subset of a general concept of strength that would involve, like, we, almost, we also might look at, like, how much of your body weight can you deadlift? You know, that's another metric that gets used uh, in, say, track and field, where the stronger you are, uh, the faster your predicted 100-meter uh, sprint time would be in terms of measuring hex bar deadlift, for instance. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of these metrics that we can, that we can measure uh, biological age. Another one would be your mile time. In fact, some people think that that's the single greatest sort of determining uh, factor in, in where you are on the spectrum of, of having aged or not. Can you maintain a, a decent pace running a mile? Because that does con- combine strength and aerobic capacity, and balance, and endurance, and a lot of other factors that would, that would, that would uh, factor in there. So, so biological age is, is an interesting way to look at, at aging, for sure. And then the third way is, is the, or the third component of this would be your psychological age. That's my favorite. Um, you know, I, I have used to tell people for the longest time, you know, I have the, uh, I'm, 66, I have the body of a 28-year-old, but I have the mind of a 17-year-old. Um, and I try to surround myself with, with, with young people. Not because, you know, I'm trying to, uh, you know, extract any sort of energy from them. I just like being around younger people. I like the energy. I like the, I like the, uh, the mindset. I like to, I play games with young, I and mean, that's the, that's the reason how I'm able to do that is I play ultimate frisbee with, with, with young folks, right? So that to me is like I'm, I'm a kid again. I'm playing. I'm outside. I'm I'm having all these um, uh, childlike, playful experiences that that people my age probably don't do. And um, some some people in society would say you shouldn't be doing that. You're you're too old for that. You and I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm 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 just the right age to be to be doing this stuff. 
Well, I guess there's no games available for the the 60 plus division in Ultimate Frisbee because it's like the attrition. You're probably the best player over 60 in the entire state of Florida, and maybe the only one. Yeah. Because the game is so intense. Yeah. But that's what's so wonderful about preserving biological age or separating it. Right. To where I know I'm 54 years old, but if I can reach a varsity high school time and track, yeah. then my biological age is literally something different than my uh, my chronological age, Jacqueline being the best example, sure. he set the world record at age 42 for doing 1,000 push-ups and 1,000 pull-ups in an hour and 22 minutes. Yep. So he was off the charts for any human of any age. So you could, you could certainly conclude that his biological age was 21 or whatever the peak age that we want to talk right. about is. Right. Yeah, so, so now you, the, the least significant of all these is your chronological age. It's like it doesn't matter. When they say age is just a number, it's just a number. But if you take biological age and psychological age, now you can sort of blend the two together and come up with what you, you know, you, you, not only how do you feel now, and, but you can, be, you can predict sort of what your life is going to uh, look like 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Yeah, that was what was so cool about seeing that research from the Cooper Institute in Dallas, the famous aerobics founder, and Texas A&M was in there too, where they tested these people at age 50 in the mile. And it was strongly predictive of their ability or their chances of living to age 85 and being healthy at that time. More so than any blood work or all the other things, the scientific stuff from the laboratory. So Newsflash, the exceptional category for males age 50, 8-minute mile, females 9-minute mile. And the needs to improve or increased disease risk and mortality risk was if you can't break 12 as a male or can't break 13 as a female. And... Anyone want to scoff watching? 12 is, you're hustling. You're yeah, moving across you're the track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. go out there and test it. See if you can at least break 12 and break 13. Yeah. And if not, then we got, then we got work to do. Yeah. And then, of course, they're correlated. You made this motion with your hands. If you have a nice, youthful biological age, and that is actually a comparison of the norm of your chronological age. So it's, it's related to something. Sure, it's got to be okay, against so, the population um, database. But that's strongly correlated with your psychological age yes. if you, you feel young. Sure. Yeah. No, they, they almost, uh, you know, they, they're synergistic in that regard. Um, the, the younger, you know, you, you think you are, probably the more uh, apt you are to, to undertake certain training regimens to get you into the next level, right? And, and vice versa. As you get more and more fit, you start feeling younger and younger. You, I mean, there, there are people who um, I've dealt with and I've coached over the years who are in their 50s and 60s think they're on the decline. They think it's, this is, all I got to do is, you know, I got to stem the decline and, and uh, just, I hope it's not a, you know, painful, slippery slope down. But if you can get them to adjust their eating, uh, start to become metabolically flexible, uh, energy levels increase, then they start to feel uh, more like working out. Inflammation decreases. Now they, they feel even more like working out and they get stronger. And as a result of getting stronger, they get more energetic and they feel like, you know, playing more. So all of the different components come together and they start, now, now you've engaged in play, you've, you've achieved metabolic flexibility, your brain is working better, now you're more um, uh, mentally flexible in your thought processes, your energy levels are higher, and it just becomes this great sort of uh, self-fulfilling prophecy about uh, achieving youthfulness in your fifth, sixth, and seventh decades simply because you shifted not only how you thought about things, but but actually took you know took a look at um, your diet, 
uh, achieve metabolic flexibility, um, re, sort of rework your sleep, uh, your sun exposure, the amount of play you engage in, and things like that. It's, it's such a compelling argument for anybody who's uh, in not very good shape in their 40s or 50s to think, that, to think that I could improve for the next two decades, not just stem the decline, right. but actually improve in my deadlift strength, in my push-ups, in my pull-ups, in my air squats, in my mile time, uh, and, and not just improve next year or the next year, but literally to see in front of you the possibility for improvement for two, two more decades before you even have to start to think about, well, then it'll start to fall off. Yeah, what's great now with the exchange of information is we have role models doing it all over the place. I saw a guy on YouTube or someone sent me the link. This guy, Charles Alley, 70 years old, and he broke 60 seconds in the 400 meters, which is my current goal. That's, that's incredible. And I'm wondering if I can do it because I'm, I'm 54 now and I'm slower than when I was 50. Yeah. Then you watch the video and yeah. you're like, that's incredible. But that shift in belief system, the way you describe it of throwing in more play, cleaning up your diet, of course, that's going to push you there yeah. by default. But the easiest and the biggest shortcut in the entire book on page 178, I don't know what page, but if you change your self-perception about aging, you will take seven years, uh, excuse me, you'll add seven years to your lifespan just by changing your self-perception. And when I engage in casual conversation with people, it takes me back to the first freaking page one of the primal blueprint yeah. a long time ago when you said your genes are not your destiny. Yeah. But we hear all the time people verbalizing, well, you know, both my parents were gone in their 70s, so I'm not sure uh, about my retirement fund. Maybe I'll spend them all now. You know, people are already setting themselves up due to the belief yep. based on their parents. I'm like, well, your parents right. smoked and you don't. Does that matter? Yeah. But we still haven't escaped as a society from this rigid mindset. No, it's, it's, um, it, it's actually quite disturbing to me mm-hmm. that so many people still get caught up in, in that thought process that um, I'm, I'm basically reliving my parents' life. You know, my, as you said, my, my, my dad died of a heart attack at 55, my you know, uh, my uncle died at 62. I'm 57. I'm living on borrowed time. No, not necessarily. You know, you're, you've got you've got so much. I guess potential. it's borrowed. Well, I mean. I, yeah, but you, there's so much potential. And yeah. and and uh, you know, I go back to um, one of the concepts uh, I've I've talked about over the years: organ reserve. Like you, like the, one of the reasons we lift weights <clears throat> is to build up uh, not just metabolic flexibility and metabolic efficiency but uh, to build up a, a sort of a vital capacity. We, we talk about lean muscle being sort of a, t- a determinant of the health of the overall body. Why would lean muscle, why would muscle mass be that determinant? Well, because every organ in the body kind of exists to support muscle mass. You know, your mm-hmm. brain uh, tells the muscles what to do and where to go and how to, how to move through space, but the heart has to supply blood, the lungs have to you know, breathe in the oxygen to, to put it into the blood so the heart can pump it. The liver has to clean out the toxins, has to develop a system for, for delivering some of the energy substrates like ketones and, and, and fatty acids. Um, the kidneys have to clear out toxins. And all these things <clears throat> work um, synergistically, but they also work based on the demands that muscle mass creates. So the more muscle you have as you get older, the more you continually... Uh, uh, at request of your different organs to keep up, to keep the pace going. The converse of that is if you start to slow down in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and you, 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 don't, you stop working out, your muscles atrophy, 
then the heart goes, eh, I don't have to beat that, that hard or that fast because I don't have to keep up. The lungs go, well, I don't have to breathe that deeply. I don't have to inspire that much. The liver says, I can pretty much get away with you know, uh, 15% of the work that I was doing before. And the next thing you know, the body, all the organs of the body kind of match the level of requested output of the, of the muscles. And, and so the body atrophies over time. Now, what happens when you get to be you know, 60, 70, 80 years old, one of the things that happens is you lose bone density. Look, if you do a lot of weight-bearing activity, your muscles get bigger, the muscles pull on the attachments, the insertions of the bone, the bone has to get stronger. That's the, that's the, that's the, you know, the, the framework that holds us together. Well, if the muscles aren't working, the bones go, hey, I don't have to be, you know, I don't, I don't need to start using precious resources to get stronger and more dense, and so the bones get brittle. Now, what happens? You get up in the middle of the night, you go take a leak, you trip over the cat, you break your, your hip. Well, that's bad enough, but now you wind up in the hospital and you're lying in bed and now you get pneumonia. Or I'm not suggesting that you will automatically, but this is how a lot of people... C. diff. Yeah, something Whatever, terrible. something terrible. And then, the, and then this cascade starts to happen where now you haven't... Now your organs can't keep up with the demands of this, this new, highly stressful demand of being sick, um, of having uh, you know, sputum in the lungs because of pneumonia, and you can't cough it out, uh, and the heart can't pump you know, enough to overcome the there's loss no of oxygen. There's no reserve. There's no, there's no reserve there. So I've said for the longest time, I don't think people die of old age. People die of, of loss of organ reserve, mm-hmm. and it typically falls down. It, it comes down to what the weakest link, the weakest organ mm-hmm. is. All of this can be bypassed. All of this can be over, you know, overcome through a, a process whereby you are active, you are eating properly, you're active, you're building muscle, you're maintaining muscle, and you're enjoying life in the process. Yeah, I think it all starts with the mindset and just sitting here watching a video, listening to a podcast, realizing that, for example, a great quote from Dr. Art Devaney, one of the mentors of the primal yes. paleo movement, yeah. he said, aging is not normal, it's cellular damage from uh, you know, unrepaired accumulation of cellular damage in the body. But we sit here and we kind of envision what's it like in 160s and 170s, and now life expectancy in the USA, we're kicking butt, we're 35th in the nation, in the world. In the world yeah. uh, I think right behind Costa Rica, who kicked our ass in World Cup soccer too. But we think 82 is expected yeah. demise. Yeah. And so 60s, 70s, we, we know that we're gonna just have that slow, steady decline. Now, we know that the human organs will wear out at about 120 years from uh, routine use and oxidative stress of being on the that planet that That seems to be the maximum right. useful uh, People are span. talking about 180, good for them. Yeah. We'll check back in about 120 years. Yeah. Uh, but for now, we can perhaps understand that human lifespan potential is around 120, even with these people that didn't have any biohacking or, right. or primal well, collagen. Actually, especially with those people. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> yeah, they just, they just mind their own business yeah. and had that wonderful mindset that uh, every day was another yes. uh, gift yeah. to awaken to. Yeah. Right. So if we could extend out, I mean, this is my personal view as I'm trying to extend out to, to form the belief that 123 is going to be my, my lifespan, easy mm-hmm. as one, two, three, mm-hmm. breaking the record because it's 122 now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but just by starting there with that insight and then thinking, wow, if I keep loading my skeleton with weight, I'm not going to suffer a loss of bone density. 
and, and so on down the line. Yep. No, I mean, uh, I, I remember distinctly in my 20s thinking to myself, I want to show people what 70 is supposed to look like. In my 20s, I started thinking that wow. thought. And so He's that's setting himself up. So, I've, so I've, <laughs> carried, I've carried that thought through my whole life and my whole career that, that um, you know, 70 doesn't have to be this sort of decrepit kind of, mm. you know, um, quasi on your way down, you know, state. You're looking up the age group records well, at, at 10K. I don't, one, yeah. of the, but one of the reasons I've, I've, I've been able to, um, you know, to, to do as well as I have at, at the current age that I am is I don't, I'm not that competitive anymore. You know, I I, uh, I was telling somebody the other day. I had my last. I'm forty years ago was my last good marathon, <laughs> and I, I retired at the time. Still at twenty, stands strong. It's though. still a strong time. Yeah. Um, it was it was uh, faster than the world record when I was born. So that was that was one of my goals as an athlete. Mm. Um, but I I sort of recognized that my leaving that world of competitive endurance athletics. At the age of 26, was help was what put me on a track to a a, a much more balanced, enjoyable lifestyle. Um, I didn't have the wear and tear on my uh, hips and knees that a lot of my contemporaries had. Um, I I didn't have uh, the AFib, uh, the heart attack, or you know like so many people in our mm-hmm. endurance community have had massive cardiac issues because of training too hard, too hard, too many years, too many years. So I feel very uh, fortunate that I was able to recognize early on that I wanted to uh, shift away from being the best in the world at what I was doing to being uh, a person who, who just wanted to kind of ex- extract the most out of life at every point along the way and absolutely be competitive, mm. but not on a global world-class scale, but you know, just at a local ultimate Frisbee scale. Well, like Seth Godin says, you want to be the best in your own world, which yeah. is the best guy who can compete with people half his age in ultimate frisbee, literally yeah. in the highest level game. Right. And so I've seen you because I've played in these matches. Believe me, people, you're extremely competitive out there. But it's an age appropriate, lifestyle appropriate goal. But you have to keep that fight up. And I saw that with my father, who who yeah. left us this year after 97 incredible years, and he was playing golf all the way up till. He played golf until he was 95 years old, and he's shooting in the 80s yep. as a 95-year-old guy and hitting the ball straight and far. And he'd get off the course after a round that he deemed to be terrible, and he was disgusted with his performance because he shot an 84, and he should have shot a 79. And I'm like, Dad, you're 95 years old. But his mindset was like, yeah. forget that. Yeah. I missed three putts on the back nine that I should have made. Yeah. And so I think that's what we want to harness is like this fighting spirit for, for throughout life until right. the very end. Um, great quote in one of Deepak Chopra's books about uh, there's a longevity pocket in the Caucasus Mountains in Russia. And there was a 113-year-old lady tending to her garden when the interviewers came to see her. And they asked her, you know, maybe through a translator, yeah. why isn't someone helping you with your garden? And she looked at him and said, because it's my garden. Yeah. Not even the thought. Like, yeah, do I need yeah. someone else to help? It's my garden. Yeah. Oh, precious. Yeah. I guess we should talk about the book Keto for Life and oh, yeah. the, the four pillars of longevity. So you've talked so much about diet and keto and eating the primal paleo way rather than the standard American diet way. And I think we both had this sentiment that like, what more else can we write about in that realm? Of course, there is some more to write about and there always is. Yeah. But I think that was the general starting point for this book was we had to expand the conversation out 
because diet is just the, a little slice of the pie. Well, f- but let's not overlook that part because it's, it's, it's kind it's of the a, portal. It's the portal. Yeah. It is. It's really the, uh, the gateway to the rest of it. Uh, if you can, I think if you can't get your diet right, you're sort of, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, maybe things you can try to do uh, appropriately, but they yeah. won't have the benefit. No, no. Just, just push pause on, the, on your screen. There's a little pause button and don't just forget it. <laughs> no, I mean, no. if you're going to go eat uh, yeah. Burger King after this, yeah. Yeah. forget it. Yeah. Okay. So we talk about, you know, the, the first pillar being metabolic, establishing metabolic flexibility. And that really um, has become more and more um, recognized by science in the last decade as uh, the essential element of good health, which is to um, be able to derive energy from your own stored body fat as often as as you need to and as often as you want to and not be reliant upon uh, refeeding carbohydrate every three or four hours all day long, every day. So we really dispelled, starting 15 years ago, we dispelled this notion of uh, multiple small meals a day or even three square meals a day. Uh, what we've what we've come to is a point where we can literally with very with a very easy entry level we can coach people to become better at burning off their own stored body fat and rely on less and less food and people might say well why would I want to do that I love to eat well what if what if your appetite and your hunger and your cravings sort of disappeared and you didn't feel compelled to have to eat what if you know one bite or two bites of cheesecake or chocolate cake was all you needed to get sort of that sense of like oh my god this is Fabulous, but now I don't need more. What if you know you woke up in the morning and you had all the energy you needed and you didn't feel compelled to eat? And in fact, what if eating you know three meals a day just felt like it was burdening you? It was just too much food. The freedom that comes with that is incredible. But that also that also establishes a baseline for you to move through uh, the world with your own sort of energy source around with you, carrying it around with you all the time and not have to be thinking about timing of meals and I have to have breakfast and I have to have lunch at noon and I have to have dinner at six. So we, we kind of put all of that aside and we say, let, look, let's enjoy every bite of food we ever eat. That's critical. That's the, like my number one component. I want you to enjoy every single bite of food you put in your mouth. However, let's figure out what that looks like in terms of reconfiguring your body so that you derive as much energy as you can from the fat on your plate of food, the fat on your thighs or hips, the glycogen in your muscles, the glucose in your bloodstream, the pasta, the you know the carbohydrate, uh, well not pasta, let's, let's leave that out, but the the carbohydrate on your on your plate of food, the ketones that your liver's making, to be to be able to access energy from all these different substrates because you spent a few weeks, just a few yeah. weeks, um, training your body to build the metabolic machinery to be able to access all these different energy sources rather than just be relying on eating every couple of hours and having to have carbohydrate at every meal. It's the most freeing aspect of this whole keto, keto uh, strategy. So yeah, so the first pillar is like, okay, let's, let's get that dialed in. Let's get metabolic flexibility handled. And now we can sort of, having done that, now we can move on to the next pillars. Yeah, I think what's cool about that message, and I think you coined that term, although people are using it left and right, so... Maybe someone else is saying they coined metabolic flexibility, but it kind of transcends the increasing controversy and nitpicking and infighting among 
progressive health enthusiasts. So if you're a whole food, plant-based person that doesn't want to eat that chicken we just had because the chicken has a conscience, you can still be metabolically flexible. You can still get there. Yeah. You can be hardcore, nose to tail carnivore. Boy, yeah. that's movements coming up like crazy. Yeah. And these plants are poisonous now that we had on our salad. Whatever's going on and whatever yeah. your belief system is and your personal experimentation leads you to, it seems like the ultimate destination for any health enthusiast. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I think that's really the, the, one of the take home messages from this book that, that, um, we, we hadn't really focused on in previous books is that you can, you can achieve this metabolic flexibility through means of eating other than primal Mm -hmm. or other than, you know, being a meat centric kind of program. And I suppose if you're a dirty keto or doing things the wrong way, and still ingesting those nasty industrial seed oils that compromise your body's ability to burn stored energy, yep. then you're getting off track because you're eating you know, not nutritious foods. On the other hand, uh, your big thing that you've been recommending for people is you, you spend as much time fasted as you can or, or want to or feel good at, yeah. comfortable with, yeah. and there's nothing, more, nothing better you can do for your health. Well, as we'll, as we'll see... Um, in the book, and, and it, now it gets uh, reaffirmed on a daily basis. The, the, all the good things, as, as Art Devaney would say, all the good things that happen to the human body happen when you're not eating, right? So the longer you can go without eating, um, the better it is. Now, I, I, I'm, again, I'm not suggesting that anyone spend much time being ravenous, uh, you know, but, but one of the things that happens when you establish metabolic flexibility is hunger, appetite, and cravings. They dissipate. I mean, to the point that I have friends that eat one meal a day. Um, you, you know several of them. And uh, they, they're not hungry beyond that. They got, like, I got stuff to do. I want to play. I want to work. I want to be productive. I want to hang out with my friends. I want to hang out with my family. So, so meals sort of get in the way uh, of some of these people. So they have one meal a day, and it's a beautiful, typically it's dinner, and it's a sumptuous, fabulous dinner. And um, I'm always blown away by the, con- the, the sort of concept of, like, well, I have to be mindful about what I eat for dinner. Because I used to think, well, that means, yeah, you, you can't be a glutton. You, you have to be mindful that you don't overeat at dinner. And, and the answer is no. I, I have to be mindful that I eat enough. Because I'm just, you know, I love food, but I'm not ravenous anymore. I'm not hungry. I don't feel compelled to eat, you know, everything that's on my plate. So that's, that's a, a, a major benefit of metabolic flexibility is this ability to say, some days I can have three meals. Some days I can have no meals. Some days I can have two meals. Some days I can have a big meal and a small meal. I mean, it's like... We call it fractal eating, but you can just sort of figure out intuitively what your body is is needing at this at this point in time, and it's a great it's a great skill set to have. It's also great because I think personally, I'm getting tired of the constant obsession with dietary strategies, and it feels and we've done so many macronutrient calculations for our readers to see yeah. uh, just what the pie chart oh, plug looks the like. formula in right yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's like if that's what you need to get started and get motivated and yeah. stay focused that's great but personally like yeah. just to be able to say hey i'm a fractal leader today i did this tomorrow i don't know maybe i'll do that um and not and suffer not, any ill effects from it sure and not obsess right. about it right dr yeah. tommy wood had a great yeah. one he says you know if, if you have that metabolic flexibility and you're healthy baseline healthy, not leaky gut or things going on in the background, yeah. you should be able to take a hit of anything, including yeah. bombing some ice cream. Yeah. He lives in Seattle, and they have the best street homemade ice cream. Unbelievable, these places all over. So when I go there, I pound the ice cream, no ill effects. Same with fasting for a long time. 
except if you're traveling to Greece and uh, <laughs> are stressed when you get on the plane and you can overdo things. Sure. But I think the most important thing to take out of what you said, especially if you're just getting into this and just finding this video and the, the whole scene for the first time, is you have to do the work before you can play around with this yeah. cool stuff like fasting. Yeah. So if you're hungry and you're dizzy and you're not concentrating well at work because you're trying to fast because yeah. someone told you to, take care of yourself. Go get first. a nutritious meal. Yeah. 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 And then go on to pillar number two. Pillar number two, move. Like like movement and physical fitness. Yeah. And we pack, package that together for yeah. a very important reason. Yeah. Well, because uh, it, really one of the things that defines quality of life is, is movement, is access, is mobility. It's, it's like, how do I get to, you know, how do I go to Greece, to, for instance, to, uh, to see the, the, the sights there? I have to move myself. I have to get myself, you know, to the car and then drive to the airport. And so mobility becomes a, a, a major aspect of our enjoyment of life. And one of the things that we tend to lose over time is, is access to mobility. It's, it's, it's some people it manifests itself as being overweight and they can't move because they're overweight, or they have uh, inflammation in their joints and it's painful to move. Um, in, you know, in the case of most athletes, over time they the range of motion contracts and you get this. You know, then it then it you can work within a certain certain sphere, but then you try to you know jump high or do something and you hurt yourself. Why don't because you go to court number seven over there? Yeah. Ah, okay. Um, so we talk a lot about, in the book, we talk a lot about, um, you know, ways in which you can move that are just, they're, they're not exercise, but it's movement. And, and it's like exercise is a form of movement, but, but just walking and just, just getting up from your desk and pacing while you're on a phone call or um, sitting cross-legged on the floor or, uh, or you know, side, uh, kneeling sideways. Those are all forms of movement that put a, a little bit of a stress on the body and cause the body to respond in a positive way. Didn't you do a scientific paper, actually published a scientific paper on this topic? Yeah, so, we, uh, yeah. so it's on archetypal rest postures. So the idea was, um, and it's, it's a fascinating sort of side story on not just uh, mobility, but on uh, glucose tolerance and glucose uptake. So um, uh, indigenous peoples who sit, who don't have a place to rest, they don't, they're not sitting on a chair, and our ancestors didn't have chairs, they didn't have you know, beds and sofas and, and, uh, and things like that to... Uh, to rest on, they rested on the ground. You know, they were squatting or sitting cross-legged or sitting side saddle or, or you know, sideways or legs out or legs behind or one side or another side. And, and in every one of these archetypal rest postures, there's a, a force being generated that's stretching some of the connective tissue. And in so, and in so doing, it's making that connective tissue um, better able to, to um, and, and the muscle surrounding it, better able to, to take in glucose, to uptake glucose, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. So, um, but again, we look at movement as um, what we can, what we tend to traditionally think of as walking or running or jogging or swimming or whatever. But then there are then there are actual rest postures that factor into a type of movement just be, by virtue of the fact that they're uncomfortable. Hmm. And one of the one of the sort of metrics of the archetypal rest posture is you find a posture, and after a few minutes, it gets uncomfortable. Fine, you just switch to a different posture. And so one of the, you know, we, we talked um, years ago about the stand-up desk. I started, I, I got everyone in my office a stand-up desk 15 years ago. And so the whole office had stand-up desk. It was great. We even had treadmills, like underneath mm-hmm. tread, tread desks. So you had a treadmill underneath the stand-up desk. You could work, you know, at, you could walk at 1.8 miles an hour, and people couldn't even tell that you were walking if you were on a phone call. Um, but now uh, along comes Katie Bowman. And she says, Katie says, 
Look, a stand-up desk isn't the answer because it's, uh, you know, you're still, you're still stationary. You're still in one fixed position. You got to move around all during the day. So now this, the, the notion of the, of the, uh, one foot high desk on the ground on an undulating surface and you sit cross-legged or you sit side saddle or, or, you know, knees together, knees apart, whatever, and change positions all day long has kind of become the new, um, ideal work environment in my estimation. Oh, it was such great news to me because I'm a fidgety guy anyway, and I'm working on a laptop, and I find myself moving to different parts of the house and sitting in the most comfortable couch position with three pillows, and I'm like, hey, Katie Bowman, is this okay? She goes, heck yeah, it's okay yeah. if you get up and change it. Change it again, yeah. And that any, any posture, the human can, yeah. we're really good at contorting ourselves and even working like this, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with this. Unless I do it for seven hours. Yeah. Yeah. So that movement objective, pretty simple. You coined another term, JFW, as, as your main objective in this category. Just freaking walk, man. Just, just walk, get out there and find. I mean, that's, look, we're bipedal. We're, we're a unique, fairly unique you are, among, uh, among okay, the animal we? kingdom. Um, how we don't fall over is beyond me. Like, to, you know, we're on, like, what, what can you set up on, t- like, a tripod? And if you take one leg of a tripod away, what happens? It falls over. So how we can even stand upright all day long? It's a marvel of, of uh, engineering that our brain can, can balance us on every step. So we should take advantage of that. And, and balance becomes another part of this whole movement thing. We need to, we need to maintain balance as part of this uh, strategy of, of staying mobile throughout our lives. Um, because one of the things that happens as we get older is we lose, we lose that sense of balance. Um, but let's talk a little bit about also about um, sort of a new concept in working out these micro these micro workouts. You did that on a YouTube video and it went crazy in one week. So it's obviously <laughs> yeah. a hot topic right now. Incredible. So we assume that uh, a workout in the gym, say, ha- has to be minimum forty five minutes, and maybe an hour is, is just about the right amount of time. And we have to sort of plot a strategy where we have to take a break and go to the gym and change and. And, and, and go to drive the, around looking for a close parking spot so you don't have to walk too far. That's right. That's right. Um, and even if we have a, a you know a gym in our home uh, or we don't have a gym, we're just doing you know uh, some exercise routine. The assumption is that it's got to be sort of start to finish, minimum you know twenty thirty five minutes, forty five minutes, whatever, and and um, and it's three or four or five times a week. And that you know if we don't do that, then we're shortchanging ourselves. And what we've seen recently is that there's this. Um, notion that we could do uh, small bits of work throughout the day and have it count just as much as if we'd compressed it all into one um, sweat session. And when I talk about sweat session, I'm saying, you know, we generally change into our workout clothes Mm -hmm. because we're going to be getting hot and heated and sweat. Well, what if, uh, you know, I just bang out uh, 40 push-ups against this thing here and 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 I don't work up a sweat, but I got a nice little pump. It was a micro workout. And then I go back and, and work at my desk, my one-foot-high desk on the ground, <laughs> or my stand-up desk, or whatever it is, um, and then maybe I do 50 air squats a little bit later. Um, you know, maybe uh, tomorrow I'm just going to go do a quick set of uh, sprints down the, str- down the street, you know, and I will change my clothes for that. I won't do it in my, in my, uh, in my street shoes. But the idea that we can um, benefit from these smaller bouts of activity, these focused, concentrated bouts of activity... Um, it kind of opens the door up to a lot more opportunity to work out in, in a day or in a week without having to compartmentalize and having to create a, 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 a 
you know, a schedule that says, geez, I'm not going to be anywhere near a gym for the next three days. So I'm either going to have to be less productive at work and find time, or I'm going to have to, um, you know, just not work out. Well, there's a middle ground there that works very well. And that is these micro workouts. And for so many people that you see are too busy, too intimidated, maybe too stressed to take on a workout regimen because these workouts are oftentimes turning into a chronic pattern. When you're going and joining the morning class three days a week at boot camp and they, they work your butt for 50 minutes, that can often be too much. And then you start to get counterproductive where if we're saying, hey, get in your cube and go down and do some deep squats as far down as you can go. And if you can do 20 of those, I guarantee you when you get to 15, 16, 17, it ain't easy. Yeah. And then we look back 90 days later after you first watched the video and you've been knocking out some of these deep squats or I like to go to my pull-up bar. So when I go in the closet to get something or for whatever reason, I'll haul off one set. If I can do that a couple times a day, a few days a week, and then we go to the end of the month, same with the hex bar, pull, hex bar deadlift bar that's in my backyard by the garbage can. So when I throw the garbage away, I go hit that. I'm lifting 12,000 extra pounds a month without even thinking about it because I like to throw garbage away. So then when we do go do a formal workout and we have mm-hmm. fitness goals and all that, I feel like we're launching from this much higher platform just because we're throwing these things into, into daily life that anyone can do. There's no excuse not to do There's a lot of excuses to go and work out at sure, the gym. Sure, I understand that. Yep. Is there an excuse to not do 20 deep squats when we know it's going to increase our cognitive function? It's going to help our glucose uptake. In contrast, sitting for as little as 20 minutes, we have great research thrown in the book that even 20 minutes of stillness will show a measurable increase in insulin resistance, bad thing, and decrease glucose tolerance. So you're going to be bad at burning fat and dumb because you get less oxygen and uh, blood circulation in the brain when you're still. And if you can just haul off some deep squats, everybody wins. I think one of the um, main messages of the book is that... um, it's a lot easier to achieve these sorts of goals than you thought because it doesn't take the rigid, dogmatic um, attention to like, like an eating schedule, like we said, um, you know, where you have to f- plug in your body weight to get how many 0.8 times grams of protein and how many, you know, how, much, uh, uh, how many grams of fat and what the breakdown is. No, I mean, all these things become um, an, an onerous task if, if you really want to just to achieve... Uh, sort of a freedom from having to think about and worry about what you eat and a freedom to be able to uh, to be fit and healthy without having to think about, well, I have to go hire a trainer, I have to go to the gym, I have to do you know all these different uh, things, I have to carve out a piece of my day, and like you say, I have to drive there, park, get dressed, do the workout, shower, come back. And, and what we're doing is we're saying, no, you, have, you don't really have to do any of that stuff. There are ways... If we talk about hacks, this is, this is a hack. You know, these are sort of ways in which we can achieve fitness and metabolic flexibility with the least amount of pain, suffering, sacrifice, discipline, calorie counting, portion control, and all those things we talk about. That's pretty good news. Yeah. I mean, the... the oh, it's, no, it's, that's, it's, it's almost too good for some people to believe. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. well, uh, I like my, you know, I like my routine, I like my... I like to have my trainer. That's great. If you have a trainer, great. But most people don't have a trainer, and most people um, are caught between, you know, not having a trainer and just and, th- and then not not making time because they assume that they need to make 
all this time. And what we're saying is, no, if you can find literally 40 seconds here and 20 seconds there and a minute and a half there throughout the day, it'll not only have the same effect as you going to the gym, it'll also, it'll improve your blood, again, your blood sugar, it'll improve your uh, your cognition, um, it'll improve your mood uh, and your wellness. Uh, it's it's uh, it's like like I say it's almost too good to be true, but it works. The science proves that it works. So we have the metabolic flexibility. We have this objective to move more and be physically fit, yep. which has now been described as so easy. You don't even need a gym membership. This show sponsored by Twenty Four Hour. Oh, excuse me, you don't need a gym membership. Yeah, incredible. And if you find stuff that you like to do, and we all lead that pretty sedentary dominant lifestyle, then there is some rationale for getting in there and, and especially pushing that explosive end of the spectrum. Yep. And I see that as a big void as well, where you have these devoted fitness enthusiasts that go and jog 20, 30 miles a week, or they go to the gym and they do the stairs and they watch the whole uh, debates on CNN, but uh, a failure to put the body under you know, maximum resistance load or, or uh, all-out sprint and again, the time, the time efficiency here, to, to have this objective of once in a while, just push yourself yep. hard, that's the most profound anti-aging hormonal response you can get. So tell me about what you did this morning. I went out and honored the great Yulia Kipchoge, one of the greatest athletic feats of all time. We're filming this show a couple days after this human ran a marathon in under two hours, which was you know, beyond comprehension. It's a pace. I never of, thought it would happen in my lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, since we know running, yeah. and we know what a 434 mile feels like. And maybe back in the day, we could bang one or two, or you probably could do six of those uh, when you were an elite level marathon runner with a lot of rest between. And this guy strung together 26 in a row. So I went out to the track and I ran a single lap and a couple half laps at his world record pace. Yeah. And it's very, very strenuous. So I had a, I had a sprint workout that yeah. lasted very short duration, but I, I pushed myself up to the, the high intensity. That's my point. So you had a very short duration sprint workout. I just workout to plug that uh, will, Kip Choga, of course, No, of know, course. Yeah. But, but that workout <laughs> will serve you for at least another week. Right. In other words, you won't have to do another one like that for another week. Uh, unless I want to get injured. Unless you want to go. get injured. Or, or you know, and, and um, it's not like you have to do them, but, but choosing to do it and then doing it brief but intense has, has uh, you know, so many benefits. It gives you that quick burst of, of uh, you know, adrenaline uh, followed by a pulse of testosterone and growth hormone. Um, it, it's going to f- burn fat for the next couple of hours or a couple of days, in fact, because of the intensity of the workout. Uh, and, and it'll leave you... It'll leave your muscles truly knackered enough that, that, that you won't want to be able to do anything like that for another three or four days because it's going to, this is this little micro uh, tear thing where you, mm-hmm. you, do, you stress the body enough that it comes back even stronger, right? Versus if you did it every couple of days, you'd stress it, stress it, stress it, stress it, and it would never come back stronger. Mm-hmm. It would just be accumulation of stresses. So that's the beauty of these uh, intense, short sprint workouts is you don't have, they don't take a long time, and they're very, very effective. Okay, we're halfway there. Yeah. And so far, it doesn't seem that hard. I know. Okay, so then... And the hard yeah. stuff, by the way, that's the hard stuff. Now the rest of it's... Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you could say that the, the pillar number three, mental flexibility, which 
when we were sitting down and, and planning out this project, I thought like this was maybe your greatest gift to humanity besides don't eat grains. Yeah. I mean, that's easy now. Everybody can say yeah. that. You were early on or first, and that was cool. Right. Uh, but you know, I've, I've been able to sit here uh, on the ground floor and watch you live your life and especially navigate these incredible complexity and stresses of building a thriving business and dealing with these spinning plates that would, that would break uh, a, a lesser man who maybe wasn't as physically fit, didn't have that work-life balance. And, you know, I, I observe you, like, going hard and being that competitive guy during the workday, and then we're sitting at lunch or at dinner, and you're like... Uh, you've had some classic quotes that have changed my life. One of them was we had a huge problem with a, a book years ago, mm-hmm. and I was you know bitching and moaning and complaining and stressed. And you said, "Hey, it's just an effing book." <laughs> and I'm like, oh, "But wait, this is our breathing life and uh, death matter uh, here." Uh, but nothing is that way. Yeah, I, I reference my sister a lot on podcasts because she's delivering babies. So when I talk to her on the phone when she's walking her dogs at night and she says she has a she had a bad day, yeah, that means. A bad day yeah. when someone didn't wasn't given life or who knows what tragic things happen and she right. has to process that and go yeah. back and try again the next day. Yeah. But for most of us, yeah. that word pivot yeah. that came up as the, the essence of mental flexibility. Tell us more. Yeah, well, no, I mean... Mr. Pivot? The, the concept of pivoting is just basically um, recognizing that there are always options, no matter what the original goal was. And... So often in life, we'll, you know, we'll be focused on a goal, we'll, we'll head down that path, we'll encounter obstacles. Very often those obstacles are, are worthy of overcoming. It's, it's worth the effort to overcome the obstacle to get to, to the intended goal. Um, once in a while, you, know, you, you set a goal for yourself and it, there are enough obstacles put in your way that you, you have to do a little bit of a calculation and you say, is it worth my giving up you know, so much of my... Um, my being to pursue this goal, or is, or, or am I being shown by the universe that there might be an alternative route to take here? And I call that pivoting. So there have been many times in my life when I, when I headed down a path, I'll use the example of, of uh, I was a marathoner for, you know, seven years, and I, and I was a, a pretty decent marathoner. I uh, finished fifth in the U.S. National Championships in 1980, qualified for the Olympic trials in 1980, but I got so badly injured just from the stress of training and from the diet. We know that now. Um, and I kept thinking, there's something I have to do. I'm missing something. I've got to keep running. I've got to go to more doctors and figure out what it is that's wrong with me and fix it so that I can continue to go down that path and be the best runner I can. And there was a point at which I realized that, no, this was not about me running more miles. This was about me, my, my body not being uh, genetically capable of putting the miles in. And I just was never going to be the world-class runner. I'd done as much as I could, and so I pivoted and became a triathlete. And the next thing you know, I'm riding a bike, and I'm a better bike rider than I ever was a marathoner. I was able to take the uh, fitness that I developed as a marathoner and immediately shift it into cycling and become a strong cyclist. I learned how to swim. I, I was not a good swimmer, but I did triathlons for a couple of years, and I did fairly well in triathlons. I finished fourth at, at the Hawaii Ironman. Uh, there was a point... After that, when I said, okay, um, I've probably done all I'm going to do in the world of sports, and I don't, I, I, I could have stayed in and taught myself how to swim a little bit better and could have become a, you know, a, a top athlete, but I knew enough about business and I knew enough about triathlon that I got into coaching and writing and administering the sport. Again, another pivot based on, 
based on what life, you know, put in front of me. And I didn't beat myself up because I, I never made it to the goal of, you know, making the Olympic team. I didn't beat myself up because I didn't finish first at, at Ironman. I just was able to acknowledge where I was in, in that, at that point in my life and take my strengths and, and, and shift sideways or pivot to another opportunity. Is, and, I, and I was always aware of the opportunities to be able to do that. And I could, I could just plot a, a very circuitous path through my life about how, how the, uh, you know, my, my interest in uh, coaching and administering triathlon led me to become the anti-doping commissioner for the sport of triathlon for around the world. Uh, that got me a job as a... Uh, uh, COO of a large vitamin company. I became interested in sports performance. Within that realm, um, I, uh, I shifted to start my own company. Um, I did my own company for, uh, in, in supplements for 20 years. At the end of 20 years, I thought, um, you know, I, 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 I'm writing so much about food and I know so much about food. Maybe I'll shift away from supplements and I'll start to do food. Every, in retrospect, these were all perfect, perfect decisions. In real time, they feel like, wow, I, I, this goal isn't, isn't happening in front of me. I need to figure out, you know, do I continue to beat myself and try to achieve that goal, or do I shift, just shift my attention a little bit and pivot to what the next thing might offer? Well, I think most importantly is uh, the dismal failures that come up are also yeah. opportunities to, to yeah. leverage, and then it leads you to something else, which leads you to something else. And so I, you know, we have, we all have the potential to tell these stories of failures and be stuck there. And so I think that that term really is, is powerful in different ways. Uh, and one of them is, you know, when you're, when you're down on the ground, you, you got, you got to pivot the, the, uh, the, the joint to get up and to get and start up. walking away. Yeah. And so whether it's a wonderful success that you pivot into, uh, international fame and fortune or whether it's a dismal failure, we're, we're obligated to, to be that way in order to be healthy. That's why it made the cut into the book, basically. Right. So resilience becomes a big mm. factor with a lot of people. Are you resilient enough to, with, to withstand the failures? Um, are you resilient enough to, to learn from them and let them go and be willing to move on to the next thing with the same amount of enthusiasm and gusto mm. that you approached the original goal? And if we look at the, um, the Blue Zones... And we look at the people, the, the, the people, the, you know, the centenarians, for instance, in some of the studies done over the years, you can find some commonalities in how they ate, a lot of commonalities in how they moved, but the, but the single greatest singularity of, of, of commonalities among, among um, centenarians, people lived to be over 100, is they rolled with the punches. They took a massive, uh, effective... Um, a stunning life event, you know, the death of a child or the death of a spouse or the loss of a job or, you know, these major life events, and they moved on. They didn't, they didn't dwell too long. They grieved a little bit, but they didn't dwell too long, and they moved on to the next thing. They rolled with the punches. They were able to regroup after a massive failure or a massive loss and pivot and, and just uh, look ahead to the next thing. And, and in so doing... Not dwell on the past and not um, not fear the future, but instead be present in the moment and make the moment count and and be um, and and be appreciative of the journey and the path. 
And I guess the opposite might be familiar to all of us at times is to get stuck and to ruminate. Uh, this is the, the, the disease state yeah. uh, of feeling d- depression is associated with uh, thoughts about the past and anxiety is associated with thoughts about the future. So you're stuck in a rut. You're telling your story about all the bad things that happened to you to get, to, get you to this rut. And then you have stress and anxiety holding you back from the future. So well, because you're, you're, we you're afraid it's going to happen again. Right. Yeah. And uh, back to Bruce Lipton and your thoughts manifesting your cellular function and yeah. your, your reality, your destiny, yeah. it, it probably will happen again. Yeah. And boy, um, just getting into this research and working on it and conversing with you back and forth about it and, and owning it for a long period of time, um, I, I got to raise my hand and say, yeah, I can reference a lot of that happening in my life where I, I, I was, you know, I have this story going. I could have made it to the pros, but I messed up my shoulder at SC. And then I got, I was third string, then fourth string. And it was the yeah. coach's fault. And everybody's got this kind of, uh, you know, blame narrative, someone else. Yeah. Narrative. Yeah. 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 Look, um, my, uh, my wife, Carrie, is uh, involved in this uh, sort of mindfulness, wellness um, strategy uh, for several years now, and it looks at uh, how do we achieve well-being. Well, how we achieve well-being is by letting go of the things that give us anxiety and pain and discomfort in our brain. Like, our, like you know, we're we're so attached to the thoughts again about the past, uh, regret about the past, uh, wishing we could do it over again, or thinking fearful of the, of the future. And 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 ultimately, what she comes up with is that um, you know we are not broken as a result of what happened to us in the past and we don't need to be fixed you know we don't as Lipton would say if you keep running those tapes then you're going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy of of you might say you know every day in every way I'm getting better and better and better but you're but the other part of your brain's going no you're lying to yourself forget that stuff (laughs) Um, but you so so you have to kind of let go of of the old tapes and the old story, and I don't, you know, some people have some horrible stories, but that is not what's happening right now. The only thing that's happening right now is what's going on in your brain thinking about the old stories. So if you change your way of thinking, if you get rid of, if you stop ruminating and start, um, you know, enjoying the moment and, and focusing on the present and, and, uh, and what needs to be done right now, the task at hand, mm-hmm. uh, you let go of all of that stuff, that stress, that anxiety, that depression, that fear, and all the things that that I think so many people not only live with on a, on a daily basis, but ultimately um, it accumulates and, and leads to uh, advanced and accelerated aging. Heavy. Yeah, yeah you're, in, you're, you're driving the bus, man. Change your self-perception about aging or whatever's happened to you. We'll yep. put that on the category too. Yeah. Rest and recovery. Oh, yeah. Pillar number four. Oh, we almost forgot pillar number four. Yeah. Rest and recovery. But... I like how this conversation has flowed because I did, you know, we've hit some heavy stuff and we've yeah. accumulated a lot of content. Yeah. And we can't forget that one, especially if we're on this health quest and we're so excited and enthusiastic, like you described at the outset, you're biting off, you're sucking the bone marrow out of life yeah. until you're too tired to suck the bone marrow out of life, then what? So yeah, we have choke rest on the and bone. recovery. Yeah, <laughs> choke on the bone. Yeah. Don't choke on the bone. Um. Yeah, this is the thing that's probably the most ironic of all of the pillars is that people, they can't um, fathom the concept that taking it easy, relaxing, uh, uh, um, you know, disconnecting from their 
electronic lives or digital worlds um, could could possibly be beneficial because mm-hmm. I gotta I gotta you know you gotta get the bread go get the bread mm-hmm. you know and and uh, at some point uh, like I I forget when it was maybe 15 years ago when I I sort of realized I no longer had to apologize for how much sleep I was getting at night because I used to think Jesus I'm getting like seven and a half eight nine hours of yeah. sleep some I can't tell anybody because like they'll think I'm a slacker. You know, and now I brag about it. Now, I'm like, geez, I got nine hours last night, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm raring to go, and I feel great, and I feel refreshed and rested. Uh, rest and relaxation, rest and recovery. Recovery—that's the thing that that people tend to overlook. If I do the work, if I do the work, if I do the work, I'll get stronger. No, you only get stronger from the recovery. You have to do the work, mm-hmm. but but it's the recovery that builds you back, and it's that period of of um, your body repairing, relaxing, regenerating renewing itself that's that's ultimately going to give you the results that you seek. You can't just keep doing the work, 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 and grind, grind, grind. So obviously sleep is the, is the starting point here, but this definitely extends out beyond uh, just optimizing your sleep. And we'll talk about some of those other, what rest and recovery means in other ways, but the starting point is sleep. Again, it's pretty simple. The, the solution is, is all in the book. We'll give you some tidbits here, but yeah. I think it starts with uh, minimizing artificial light and digital stimulation after dark, which is our, one of our most profound genetic disconnects. When the sun sets for the past two and a half million years, our ancestors pretty much wound down and went to sleep. And now we can brighten up our day and our year through, around the clock yeah. with all kinds of... No, it's, and it's... That's where FOMO really comes into play mm. because you know it's still light out and people are still doing things and they're going to clubs and they're, you know, they're uh, they're watching TV late at night and they're binge watching something and so the the fear of missing out on that is what keeps people uh, up literally at mm-hmm. night because they think well if I go to bed now I'll miss all I'll miss some some kind of good time well you know really what how are you defining a good time um, most people I know that stay out late and go to bars sort of regret <laughs> regret. What you know that they stayed out that late, they didn't have that good a time, um, and you know the, the the sort of binge watching television thing. I mean, I guess if that's your if that's your thing, um, I'd much prefer to read a, a good book, you know, uh, by a uh, incandescent light uh, just mm-hmm. before going to bed. But it's, I'm not, you know, you don't, we don't, I don't, I don't judge people for doing that. What I am saying though is that um, in establishing a good sleep uh, rhythm, a good sleep pattern. Um, you tend to then, um, you know, optimize that rest and recovery. So for me, like if I go out late, I still get up at the same time every morning. Mm. So I, I, I can't shift my sleeping. I can't slide that scale over and do, you know, go to bed at two o'clock in the morning and then wake up at 1030 in the morning. That just doesn't happen to me. So, um, I know that, that, uh, my sleep pattern is such that I'm going to wake up between 630 and 707, you know, pretty much every morning. Uh, so I have to kind of plan my, my exit strategy the night before mm. to be able to accommodate that. Well, that's what the research shows yeah. as well, is the early hours of your sleep chunk are devoted to deep sleep, and then it becomes uh, more REM sleep and less deep sleep. So you, you literally cannot make up for going to bed too late by, by sleeping in. Right. And then the idea of getting up around the same time every day is also validated. This is going to help you with your circadian rhythm and getting that direct exposure to sunlight, getting your eyeballs touching the, right on the sun yep. near sunrise is setting yourself up for that melatonin release when the sun sets and that nice graceful transition. So I think 
messing it up with the digital devices is is the big one. That's an easy fix, really. Yep. The payoff is one of the wonderful. tough ones is travel. I mean, if you travel, if you cross, you know, six time zones, um, you know, you may need to. Uh, I, like I use melatonin when I travel, so uh-huh. I, I reset. I try to reset when I do that. But that that to me is the one area that I find most stressful to people in general is uh, is shifting time zones on a regular basis like that. Incredibly stressful. You're spiking yeah. the stress hormones to the extent that uh, I've made mistakes with training because I wake up the next morning in Florida and I feel great and I go out and I do a hard workout because I'm bathed in these stress hormones due to the extensive stress of jet travel. So yeah. Yeah. we kind of have to plan and realize uh, yeah. what, it, what it feels like to be in an overly stressful state. And sometimes you feel great and you're full of energy and you're staying up late at night because the eyeball, eyeballs are getting blasted with artificial light yeah. prompting the stress hormones. So you'll feel fine and you're finishing your emails and you're feeling really good because your inbox is almost empty, but it's sort of a and then you can't. Uh, Sleep. You can't go to you can't fall right. asleep for an hour. Yeah, you know? and then you feel like hell the next yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah. So, and then you worry about not sleeping, <laughs> which keeps you up even longer. Oh mercy! Yeah. Uh, so then we have that that sleep chunk, and then the the idea of resting and recovering, obviously applying to your workouts. And you've talked so much about the dangers of chronic cardio, the the the, the demise you saved yourself from by ending your endurance yeah. career early, and I think the the widespread abuse of fitness and i think the marketing message too that no pain no, no, gain, pain, no gain still yeah. thrives in the sure in the group training aspects and the gyms and all that stuff yeah look um i how it really hit home for me was when was when i was coaching you mm-hmm. and i'd already been retired uh for probably six years from competition um i did my last race in in 82 and then i started training you guys at like 88, I think. Yeah, you're a team of professional triathletes. Yeah. So this guy would like and tag I would, along. And I would coach and I would tag along. But you remember, I could keep up with you on a lot of the rides. And um, not every ride. And that was the key. Mm. Because once in a while, I would get into a ride with you guys and I would stay with you. Or, or push the pace. Or push we're the like, pace. What's yeah. this guy doing? Right. You know? But because I took the next four days off. Right. Um, and you didn't. You right. trained every single day. I could come back stronger and do it again and again and again. Now, I couldn't put the workload that, that weekly workload in, but I could do the individual workouts once in a while. And to me, that was an indicator of my fitness. I didn't need to be doing it every single day, but if I, could, if I at the age of 38 in those days, could hang with you 22-year-olds and 24-year-olds um, on a, on a the world-class you know, uh, endurance athletes, then that was, a, that was an indicator that I, that I had the kind of fitness that I wanted for myself without beating myself up. And that was that was powerful for me because then, even a year or two later, I could enter a race uh, as an age grouper and finish, you know, in the top in the top category among the pros in the, in duathlon, for instance. Mm-hmm. So it was it was clear to me that this was not about how much can you beat yourself up. This was about how much can you rest mm-hmm. and get away with it. Mm-hmm. And that was really the. That, that, to me, that that sealed the deal in terms of okay, we got to figure out what it is that causes the body to to um, stress itself enough. But most importantly, we have to figure out how to get give it enough rest and nutrition to recover and come back stronger than it was before. It's a tough one for a goal oriented, driven, accomplished person to try to embrace that. That slowing down will you make feel you go guilty faster. when you take a day off, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember our coaching calls. We'd strategize my race schedule and my training and report back. And every time you ended the call with, remember, trust. 
And that was the, that was the final comment yeah. because it required so much trust for me to back off and slow down and throw those rest days in. That was sort yeah. of your, your revelation that you could still go hard on your hard day. And what else matters in terms of your, exactly. your fitness adaptability? What can you do on your best day? We're not saying, what can you do on your worst day? No. Or, or on your average day. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So that's the message to the fitness community. And now these wonderful recovery style workouts are coming into popularity. People like Joel Jameson, Dr. Craig Marker conveying the, the importance of just taking longer rest intervals, for example, have yeah. transformed my sprint workouts. Yeah. I don't need to step back on the starting line and show how tough I am with my beeper going that I'm going every 30 seconds. Or as soon as your heart gets from 180 back down yeah. to 140, go again. Yeah. Yeah. I walk around and yeah. uh, make social media posts of my, yeah. my workout in progress and take, take my time. And then I deliver a high-quality explosive performance. This is high-intensity repeat training instead yeah. of high-intensity interval training, yeah. the exhaustive workout. And you recover faster. So you can do more yeah. of them and continue to build without that. that Guys, and people are, by the way, people are doing that in the gym, in the, in the weight room too. So they're doing, they're, they're taking longer rest between sets in the weight room and able to do more uh, and, and do it, you know, recover faster and, and get mm-hmm. uh, better gains as a result of doing that mm-hmm. too. So I think the final thing to talk about in this category would be something that's new and exciting for humans in the last, what, 20 years is this hyperconnectivity yeah. and the desperate need to take a break from that and apply extreme discipline to our, our tech habits. You know, I, I, I get sometimes accused of being uh, too, you know, um, too much caught up in the paleocentric world and the, uh, you know, the anthropological um, historical human experience. But basically we are, we are wired to be in small, close-knit communities. Um, we talked in, in Primal Connection about Dun, the Dunbar's number, you know, the, the, probably 12 close people and then maybe at most 150 people that we're connected with in our lives. Um, and this was through millions of years of human evolution. All of a sudden now we're connected with, like I'm limited to 5,000 Facebook friends, right? And I have, you know, 77,000 Instagram people. And it's crazy how we... We view that as being connected. Um, and yes, it's connected in the sense of like plugging a plug into a socket. Um, you're connected and you can, you know, you can get a shock doing that. So I can get shocked by being connected to, to all these people. But, but real connection is, is you know, eyeball to eyeball, um, you know, sharing conversation, um, proximity, uh, skin contact. That's real connection. And we, we, not only are we losing that, but we see it in, in uh, young people today, how, they're, how uncomfortable they are in close, in close groups. I mean, I'll, I'll go to a, you know, uh, some uh, young people's homes and see eight people sitting around a living room, all, you know, all t- literally not just texting other people, texting each other while they're yeah. sitting there, not talking to each other. It's, it's, it's crazy. So um, I would love to see uh, people... You know, get a get a uh, a firm grip, a handle on where the the line is between uh, being an effective communicator because you're a digital marketer and you know you have people that you want to uh, share your news with, versus um, having a real close contact with somebody and, and having this kind of close human connection that we all crave. That's really an essential part of our um, our being, and and yet we've lost. Uh, and we have some research uh, again in the book about 
uh, if you talk about um, longevity studies, it's it's the closeness. It, like men who are married uh, and in, mm-hmm. de- in good you know good marriages mm-hmm. live like twelve years longer mm-hmm. than men who are not. There's uh, another hack for you. Yeah, um, uh, my wife sent me th- something the other day about uh, you know uh, people with pets who have connection to pets live longer than people who don't. So there's something about that that physical connection that we cannot overlook if we're if we claim that we want to live a longer, happier, more productive life. The Okinawans, the island of Japan, which has long been lauded for the highest longevity, the females there have the longest life expectancy of any group in the world, over 90. So kicking USA butt by uh, uh, seven years or something. Yeah. Um, and they have this this concept called ikigai, which is the the importance of social community and social networking, and they have. Not social network. <laughs> networking socially in the old in the old better in the someone old days. stole my term yeah. uh, but they meet for tea in the afternoon and they yeah. have these leisurely occasions where there's no huge agenda maybe they're not even playing bingo like at least you're going to bingo nothing wrong with that but they just connect yeah. and they form these uh, small groups of four people usually for a lifetime yeah. so when they're little kids in kindergarten they, they, they group them up, yeah. and they, they stay together for the rest of their life. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of longevity statistics, uh, native Okinawans who leave the island and go off to live their lives elsewhere have a 20-year reduction in life expectancy. Yeah. And yeah, they eat their healthy seaweed and all that, but I think uh, the, the researchers think... A lot to be said for the connection. The most profound thing yeah. is their social fabric right. there. Right. Then... We take a deep breath, and then we pound you with the 21-day biological clock reset. What yeah. better way for a book to end or a podcast? Yeah. No, the 21-day reset is basically we hold your hand through um, 21 It's, it's sort of like we squeeze your hand. Yeah, well, whatever. We, we design yeah. it to be we, tough. We, we lead you, yeah. we lead yeah. you through um, some, um, some exercises, if you will, some uh, challenges, some tasks uh, that are contemplated to, uh, put, to put you on this path of uh, metabolic flexibility, uh, movement and 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 physical fitness, mental flexibility. Well, it's each yeah, day yeah. we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's four pillars, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So each day you have some an assignment in each yeah, one. Yeah. Um, and it's designed to be pretty tough. Yeah. And to make a sincere commitment here, because we're talking about life change, life transformation. And it's not easy. So don't worry. You do have to go into the chest freezer cold plunge like <laughs> I do every morning. That's mandatory part of the thing. But actually. Seriously, it's exploring different things. Yeah. So one of them might be cold exposure. It's a lot of great research. It's a great Everybody I have that visits me or that lives in my building in uh, in Miami has done the cold plunge with me, and oh. people are like they're they love it and they're you know a little bit afraid of it, but once they do it, they're like, oh my god, that was the most amazing experience. Especially in Miami. Yeah. How could you live without it? Yeah. Yeah. Lake Tahoe. I'm not so sure I need one now that I got a a, yeah. a, a bigger cold plunge out there, which right. I intend to swim in every single day. Right. But you dabble in this, you dabble in that. If cold showers aren't your yeah. thing, or you're not going to invest in a chest freezer after your first thing, that's fine because after 21 days, you've had sort of this this uh, intensive retreat experience yeah. where you can pick and choose because we're not forceful people. Pick and choose what works for you. Right. But carry it on for forever. Yep. And great recipes too from leading pack of yeah. culinary chefs and brilliant people in the kitchen. And we, I think you should talk about that too because um, you made the decision since you're such a connoisseur, mm-hmm. you're the primal kitchen guy, he likes to eat all these delicious things. So we just put it out there and said, what do you got? And so the collection of recipes is kind of eclectic because we yeah. didn't all develop them ourselves or with our, our same research team. And um, Yeah, it's, but it's sort of greatest hits. It's like of, yeah. of the favorite foods. 
I mean, like I say, never put anything in your mouth that doesn't taste great, right? And that's that's one of the um, one of the reasons that we have these recipes in there. They are they've been tested and they taste fabulous. The name of the book is Keto for Life. <laughs> Go grab it. Thank you, Mark Sisson. Thank you, Brad. At Primal Kitchen, we understand just how tough it can be to stay on track during the holidays. And that's why we are sponsoring January Keto Month, starting January 6, 2020. You will receive exclusive keto content, daily challenges, special offers, and more straight to your inbox. No purchase necessary to participate. You will get one month of free exclusive email content from Mark Sisson, learning how to optimize fat burning and get the results you've always wanted. With Mark's daily advice, daily challenges, and emails starting January 6th, we are in this to keep you motivated and on track. Go to primalkitchen.com forward slash keto reset to learn more.